0: Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. All right, so we're jumping into week number two of Titus. Just for, just for my help, how many of you were here last week for week one of Titus? So if you weren't, I would encourage you to go back and uh, check that out. Um, how many of you uh, took the cue uh, and have read through Titus at least one time? Maybe a smaller number of people, but all right. Again, this would be a good this would be a good practice uh, to to do. It's a relatively short book, pretty easy read, but it would give you just a great foundation and preparation as we move through uh, this series together. But but Peter did a great job last week of giving us an introduction to what was happening on the island of Crete, where Titus was being sent to do some work, and then we're going to jump into it a little bit further uh, this morning. and it's going to be good. I think the whole, the whole series comes at a very good time just because of where our world is at and, and the need around us uh, for good, solid, biblically sound, living people. And that would be us. All right? That would be us. So just a reminder, some of the big, big themes that are going to pop up in the book of Titus the idea of right belief leading to right action, uh, or right doctrine leading to right action. We're going to hear about the importance of leadership uh, through uh, this book, especially this morning. That's going to be a big theme. And, and then Peter reminded us that even though this was a book, a letter written to Titus, to an individual, uh, that there is a truth in it for all of us. So this is not just something that we can deflect and say, well, hey, this was for somebody else, not for me. We can, we can read it with an understanding that this, is, this has something to say to each of us uh, as well. And let me just remind you where Peter left off last week. When he finished his message last week, kind of his uh, cap sentence was, where do you need to shore up your right living to match your belief? Where do you need to shore up your right living to match your belief? So hopefully you walked through your week uh, this past week thinking a little bit about how, to, how can my life line up better with what I say, I believe because we were we were reminded that Crete was not a very pleasant place. It had a very bad reputation uh, for the way people lived, the way they treated one another, the way they acted, and so there were Christians on this island. We're not exactly sure how the church even really got started on Crete. We do know that early in the Book of Acts, in Acts chapter two, when we have the the Day of Pentecost uh, event that happened, the Holy Spirit came and the church really got kind of started at that point, that there were people from Crete that were there that were present uh, for that event that likely took their new faith back to the island of Crete with them, and so that could be where uh, these churches had gotten started. It's possible that Paul may have had something to do with the churches getting started on Crete, but whatever the case, <clears throat> the what had happened is that they had begun to deteriorate in, in how they were living and how they were acting, and they really had begin to uh, assimilate, as uh, Peter mentioned last week, uh, some Greek culture. Uh, There was even this group of Judaizers who were uh, present on the mainland uh, that were insisting that people uh, live, embrace Jewish customs as well as their new Christian um, belief. They were present on Crete. And so Peter's going to jump into this a little bit more uh, thoroughly next week. But there was a lot of false teaching that was happening things that were going on that were really beginning to tear apart uh, families and uh, tear apart the church there on the island. And so it needed to be, uh, th- something needed to be done. So I wanted to give you, this is just a little nugget here that I, I feel like is important, but kind of foundational thing for us to think about. Uh, and it's this idea that if, if we don't intentionally attend to our faith and if a local church is not intentionally led, then we are going to drift away from God and His truth. If we don't intentionally tend to our personal faith, our relationship with God, we're going to naturally drift away from God's truth. If this church is not intentionally led well to follow Christ, we are going to naturally drift away from God's truth. So we've got to be intentional about what we do. And I think Paul believed that as well. And he's giving Titus some very key uh, insight and and responsibility uh, to go about his work there on Crete. But here's what I want to say. I want to say that we love to celebrate good leadership. If we look around, and I think I'm I'm a bit of a sports person, so you look at the sports world, and we love to celebrate good leaders. When a coach does a good thing or a manager makes that adjustment just at the right time, sends in that pinch hitter or brings in the reliever or starts just the right person, we celebrate that. We're like, man, that was crafty. Or, man, that person was steady. They've got their finger on it. And, and they're doing a great job. And so when the team's successful, we lift up the coach and we say, look what's happening. Uh, that guy is fantastic. And so we celebrate good leadership. And I, I also believe we're kind of fas- fascinated when leaders crash and burn. We get, you know, we, we think, aha, especially if it's the team that we don't like. Uh, but when, that, when they crash and burn, we get kind of obsessed uh, a little bit uh, with that. And if you happen to be a Las Vegas Raiders fan, you have lived this out uh, in the last two weeks. If you're a Raiders fan, and I would have asked you two weeks ago how your season was going, you would have said, you know what? It's exactly like we planned it. We are doing great. The team has turned around. We're heading in the right direction. Gruden is doing a great job leading us and coaching us. And two weeks later and a couple of emails released later, Gruden's out of a job, and if you're a Raiders fan, you don't know what's happening next with the Las Vegas Raiders. It does not take long. It does not take long for things to turn around. And it's a reminder that regardless of what things look like on the outside, regardless of what we're seeing in, 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 even in the name of results, there's a lot going on under the surface that can impact what happens in people's lives. And so we see that happen all the time, and it happens in the church. It happens in the church. So the, the, the point is good leadership is essential in all areas of our life, but more than anywhere else, good leadership in the church is essential. And I believe Paul understood that, and when he approached Titus with his uh, responsibilities that he was given him, Paul knew that leadership was important. But I want to suggest this morning that all of us need to embrace our role in this world. That we are going to count on godly leaders to point us in the right direction. But I'm going to say the world is looking to the church. The world is looking to you as individuals as part of the church to make an impact and to show what your faith is all about. So yes, we want to have good leaders and we, have, we expect a lot of our leaders. But I want to encourage you as people that are part of the body of Christ. These things that we talk about this morning, these qualities that we look to in our leaders, these need to be present in our lives as well, right? It's who we are. We're the church together, and so we want to do this. So let's look at Titus chapter 1. We're going to pick up at verse 5. That's where uh, Peter left off last week. Titus chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 5 through 9 this morning. So if you've got your Bible open or clicked on, let's read it. Titus 1, beginning at verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain, rather He must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold, hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So let's look at this. The first thing that Paul says to Titus is the reason I left you in Crete. So we need to understand that this was strategic, that this wasn't an accident, that Paul intentionally had a plan for Titus. He's left him there in Crete. So Paul obviously has been to Crete. Again, we don't know exactly the degree that Paul had influence on the church there. I, I, at the very least, we can say that whatever he did, was, he didn't get to do all that he wanted to do with those churches. And so he's left Titus there intentionally to straighten out things that have gone uh, badly. To put in order, it says what has been left unfinished, and so we know that that Paul was concerned that there were serious issues that had popped up in the church, and that Paul is really uh, reminding or giving really Titus the authority to take care of of these issues that have popped up, and that we've got bad organization, we've got some bad leaders, we've got false teaching, and just bad overall bad behavior. Peter's going to kind of into that a little bit more next week because uh, verses 10-16 through 16 begin to deal with some of that. But Paul's giving Titus some marching orders. And I have to think, and I do this often when I'm reading through a passage, maybe you do too. If you were Titus if, and you read this, what would you be thinking? What would you be thinking if you were Titus? And if you're a person like I am, you know that Paul is giving Titus... A difficult task. He's asking him to go and approach these churches that are used to doing whatever they're doing, that are drifting away from God, and Titus one by one is going to confront these leaders in these churches with their, their uh, bad teaching, their bad doctrine, and get them straightened out. Not just one church, multiple churches. And so Titus has got a difficult, difficult task in front of him. Then the first step That Paul gives Titus is to appoint elders. He says that in verse 5. And this word appoint means to set down, to put in charge. The intention here is that these leaders would begin to do the work that Titus had been given to do, to oppose these false teachers, to get things set right. And so he needs uh, men that are going to do this well. And so we're going to be looking at some characteristics and qualities that uh, Paul wants to see in elders as we move through this passage. But let me just take a a quick little side note here. That Paul is addressing Titus, but it would be a mistake if we thought that this didn't apply to us. Uh, These qualities that we look at this morning should be present in your church leaders. These qualities should be present. They should expect that these qualities are present in their own life. And they should be, there should be an expectation that they are held accountable to these qualities. And I would uh, suggest this, that as we look at leadership and as you look at it in the world and in the church, the church is never going to rise higher or go deeper in their faith than the leadership. And if leaders are not willing to pay the price to do it, there's no way the church is going to rise above what the leaders are doing. So it's important that we expect this out of those that lead within our church. Secondly, uh, these are qualities that we all should have. I, if, as we look at this list, if you read through this list and, and you're not drawn to them like, hey, this is something I want to see in my own life, you need to keep reading those. As Christians, we, we should be drawn to this, these qualities in our own life. We might expect that the leaders, the elders in our, in our church would be ahead of us, maybe more mature in some of these areas, but these are things that I'm pursuing Uh, In my life as a believer, this was true in the first century when Paul was talking to Titus. It's true in 2021 in Kings County. We need leaders and we need people that want to live out these qualities. And then, thirdly, just a quick snapshot of how this works at First Baptist Hanford. We don't have elders in name, we don't have an elder board, but in in practice, the pastoral staff serves as the elders within this uh, church. And so there is this expectation that they are the overseers. They function as the overseers of, um, of the congregation. So with that in mind, I would just say from, from us, uh, we do not uh, take that responsibility lightly. And we do it with humility. And we recognize the significance of, of what God wants to do uh, and what God expects from leaders. Now we're looking at Titus chapter one, but if you're looking at another if you're looking for more information on this, I would draw your attention to First Timothy chapter three. In chapter three of First Timothy, there is a, a very similar list that Paul gave to Timothy as he was talking about church leaders. and often this list in Titus and the list in First Timothy are considered together when we're uh, talking about leaders and elders within the church. So, Let's jump into this. What does Paul say about these elders? In verse 6, he says this, an elder must be blameless. So let's look at this word, blameless. This, this Greek word gets translated beyond reproach, above reproach, uh, in, other, in other versions. Uh, here we have the word blame, you know, it's translated as blameless. The idea, though, that is communicated with this idea of being blameless is unaccusable, or the the Greek dictionary that I looked up, uh, the definition was not convictable when a person is properly scrutinized. So let's be clear, we're not talking about perfection, we're not talking that the leader is expected to be perfect in every area of these qualities, we know that Jesus was the only one that walked the earth, that, w- that manifested these qualities perfectly, but there is an idea of unquestioned integrity in their reputation, that over time this person has demonstrated a lifestyle that lines up with what these what these qualities expect, and so there is uh, this idea that these are not new believers. In First Timothy chapter three, Paul says as much. He says that these elders should not be new convert or not be recently uh, converted to Christianity. These are people that over time have demonstrated a lifestyle that lines up with these qualities. I would also suggest that the organization, that the church should be structured in such a way that allows these elders to be encouraged and supported. In other words, they're not left out there on an island, but they're supported and encouraged to live out these qualities. And so the organization should support what Scripture is asking uh, from these leaders. And we're reminded about the importance of this all the time. When we see a leader fall, whether it's in the world or it's in the church, and let me give you some, just some examples. We've got Bill Hybels, we've got Ravi Zacharias, Mark Driscoll, Carl Lentz, Perry Noble. The li- I could, st- the list goes on and on of, of pastors and Christian leaders who have fallen, and as we as we look at that, we know that nobody is immune to this kind of fall in their life. And each of these comes with some... Uh, very uh, basic and consistent themes. We have a tendency in our world and in the church to create celebrity. And so we create celebrity around people and we lift them up. And this leads to uh, isolation, personal isolation. In fact, uh, Perry Noble, when he, and, and let me just say, some of those names you probably don't even know who they are. And that, that's, prob- that's okay, but I can assure you that there are thousands of Christian people that have suffered because of decisions uh, at, uh, of the fall of these leaders in their churches. And so we need to, we need to recognize that uh, what happens when leaders are not held to uh, these kinds of qualities. And so Perry, and he, he's back on the East Coast, but one of the things he said when he resigned from his church is that he isolated himself from everybody else. I mean, he used the terminology himself. So we create celebrity. Uh, this tends to isolate people. And that becomes a factor in, in uh, the fall that they uh, see happen in their life. There's a co- consolidation often of power and control. And there's organizational structures, structures that enable that kind of behavior. So it kind, of, kind of becomes a perfect storm in these people's lives that leads to this downfall. So here's what I want to say about that. I just want to encourage you that leadership is is difficult. In the best of circumstances, leadership is difficult. In the church, it's uniquely difficult. And so I just want to say for myself and for Peter and for Kyle, I would just invite your prayers for us. In particular, I would invite your prayers for Peter as Pastor Peter leads within this congregation and as you look at these qualities that we're going to unpack here in the next uh, few minutes, I would encourage you to write these down and that this would be part of your prayer list for him. That, that God would al- give him courage, boldness, strong faith. That, you, that God would allow these qualities to be demonstrated in his life. Because as he leads us, and as we lead as pastors in this church, we're only going to go as far as the leaders are willing to go. So as you move through your life, as you pursue this in your own life, make this part of your prayer for Peter. Now when this happens, when this kind of, these kind of falls happen, there's, there's some thinking, some flawed thinking that accompanies it often. And one of the things is that we look at the, this idea that the ends justifies the means, we see great results, we see good things happening, so we uh, just assume everything is great, much like we I mentioned earlier with with coaching. We look on the outside and everything looks great but we're missing what's happening underneath the surface. And it's this idea that, that as long as we're getting a good outcome, everything else must be fine. The ends does not justify the means. We, we need to recognize that, they're, they're, that it's a very complex Thing that's going on, and we cannot just look at the results. Often we evaluate the wrong things. You know, we look for charisma. We look for somebody that's a great communicator. We look at numbers. We look at dollars. We look at popularity. Notice we look at the exterior rather than going to the heart of what's happening in a person's life. And so we need to recognize our tendency. And this is not just a leader's tendency. This is our tendency together. Right, We create these celebrities often and we lift them up and hold them up without really understanding what our role is in supporting, praying for, and helping them become the people God wants them to be. So let's look at the qualities that that, uh, Paul talks to Titus about. The first thing he says in uh, verse number 6 is that this elder would be blameless at home. Christian leadership begins at home. He says, faithful to his wife. A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. What an interesting place to start with an elder in the church. You might have have thought that Paul would start with, hey, good reputation in the community, great Bible teacher, great knowledge of the Scripture, well-educated. Starts with none of that. Says faithful to his wife and has kids who believe and that are disciplined. So very interesting uh, place to uh, begin talking about elders. The care that he demonstrates with his wife and children suggests how well a man is going to lead within God's church. And so it is important. The idea here that that Paul communicates using the the Greek word that he did is that this is a one-woman man faithful to his wife. We're reminded what was happening in Crete at the time, right? Peter talked about this last week. It was far from this. This is not what Crete was about. And so what Paul's asking Titus to communicate to these elders is, hey, you are going to lead in a way that is 180 degrees from what we're seeing around us. Faithful to his wife. His children, in this case, likely children that were still in his his home. And I love this phrase. Not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Interesting. Now, whether we can hold a man accountable to what his children do as adults might be up for debate. But what we can say from what Paul is talking to Titus about here is that a man is responsible for what's happening with his kids at home. That he's discipling his kids well. That they are learning about who Jesus is. And he's leading them. Uh, in a direction of uh, following the Lord. If you look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, uh, Paul writes in another place. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This was the expectation for dads everywhere. So fathers, as you are followers of Christ, your number one responsibility, faithful to your wife, love your kids, and teach them about who Jesus is. And that was Paul's number one quality for an elder. Then secondly, he talks about blameless in character, verses 7 through 9. Uh, now these are divided into things that the elder should not do along with things that the elder should do. He begins with a list of things that they should not do. And I, I don't think, uh, we're, gonna, we're not going to go into bit-by-bit bit details of each of these characteristics. I think as we look at these qualities, many of them are kind of self-definable, but what I think they do do is they give us a snapshot of, of what this man should look like, of what his life should characterize, of what he should be about as he lives his life. And So let's look at these. The first thing he says is that this elder would not be overbearing. In other words, he's not arrogant, not self-willed, Not caught up in his own opinion, but willing to listen to the opinion of others. Not overbearing. Not quick-tempered. In other words, not prone to anger. Doesn't have that short fuse. He doesn't get angry at the wrong things. He doesn't get angry at the wrong place at the wrong time. Remember, we're thinking reputation here, right? This is, this is something that, again, it's not that this, this man would, would never get angry or ne- may- maybe never lose his cool, but th- does he have a reputation for this? Is this what his life is about? Not given to drunkenness. The idea here is not addicted to wine, not, not, a, not a heavy drinker. This kind of corresponds with Paul's... Uh, teaching in Ephesians chapter 5.18 where Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What we're looking for in leaders within the church is those that are filled with the Spirit of God and not anything else, alcohol in this case, but anything else that would drag them away from that. Not given to drunkenness, not violent. The Greek word there is not a striker, not a fighter. I think that has a close connection with the idea of anger and being out of control. Not pursuing dishonest gain. In other words, not greedy, not looking for material gain in their life. This would be in contrast to, what, again, what was happening on Crete. We're going to find out next week that many of the church leaders were pursuing gain for their teaching and for how they lived their life. And again, Paul is... Running, against, running 180 degrees against the grain of what was happening in Crete, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he says, after that list, rather, these are the things that the elder must be. And first we look at some character towards others, this idea of being hospitable. The elders should be hospitable. Lover of strangers, that word means. A lover of strangers. There is no one who needs Christian connection more than a stranger that's in a strange place. And the elder needs to have a heart for people, a heart for others, a heart for the stranger, hospitality. The elder needs to love what is good. I don't think you need to define that, right? Just what it sounds like. Loves good people, rejoices in good things, loves it when he sees good works, celebrates the good that he finds around him, lover of the good. There are some internal character traits the idea of being self-controlled, controlling my mind, my passions, so that I can act rationally. This shows up in the fruit of the Spirit, by the way. In Galatians, Paul talks about being self-controlled as evidence of the Spirit's presence in our life. Self-control. Upright and holy. Does my conduct conform with who God is? Am I embracing what God is about or am I embracing what the world is celebrating? I want to pursue what is upright and what is holy. I want to be disciplined and in inner strength that I can control my body, control my actions, control my tongue, demonstrating some discipline. And then lastly, there's character in the church. There's this idea of doctrinal fitness or, or doctrinal understanding that that this person is going to hold firmly to the trustworthy message of the gospel. There's a commitment to the truth of the gospel that this elder is going to demonstrate in their life and in their teaching. I, would, I, I really believe that effectively communicating the truth of the gospel is the best antidote for error. If, there are error. if there's error, if there's bad teaching in the world, speaking the truth and teaching the truth is going to be the best way to confront that. And so the elder has to be holding firm to the message of the gospel. The elders to encourage others with this sound doctrine, encouraging others to grow in their faith. You should be hearing that from the leadership within the church here, within your uh, Christian life, that they're encouraging you to greater depth of growth in your faith. And then finally, there's this idea of refuting those who oppose it. And again, this is going to be key for Titus and the elders on Crete because there's a lot of opposition happening on Crete. But I would suggest in our world today, there is plenty that stands in opposition to what Scripture is about. And so if we can embrace what is true, we can better uh, refute those who oppose what is true. So why is this important? What is it about all of this that is important? Well, I've already pointed out that I, I think leadership particularly within the church, is essential that there's godly, biblical leadership happening within the church. So that's one reason that it's important. But I want to suggest a couple other things, a couple other reasons why this is important. First, I think this is important because we need to see and experience these qualities in our leaders and in one another. We need the example. We need an example in our life that, that is going to spur us on, that shows us it can be done. I can live this way. And so we need that example in our life. These, these qualities would be a good measuring stick for anybody. As you read through this list, this would be a great thing to say, how, do I, how am I lining up? How does my life line up with these qualities? Am I demonstrating these things in my life? So it's a good measuring stick of your growth, of my growth in our relationship with God. And it allows us to uh, challenge each other to this kind of living. If you're in a group, a small group, I would, I would encourage you to use, this as, use that group as a place to encourage and challenge each other to deeper faith in God. That you wouldn't just sit there and go through and, and cons- consider it good fellowship, but you would say, you know what, it's my responsibility to make sure you're going deeper in your relationship with God. And I, I, I would expect the same from you guys to me. So push into that in your group. If you're not in a group, it is a great place to be challenged deeper in your relationship with God. This is important also because our world, our society, much like the Cretan society, is embracing a worldview which runs contrary to biblical truth. We're, in fa- we're facing things every day that run contrary to what the Bible teaches. And so knowing and living these qualities in our life are going to help us engage a world that is running. Uh, counter to what we believe. This is important because these qualities are evidence of the transforming power of the gospel. As we come to faith in Jesus, as we press in and grow, we should see life change happening. I should not be the same person today that I was five years ago because of what God's doing in my life. This is evidence. These qualities are evidence of what the gospel does in somebody's life. And lastly, this is important because when people see this evidence, when people see these qualities, I believe, and I believe that the Apostle Paul believed this too, that when they see this in their lives, they will find the gospel compelling. They will be drawn to faith in Christ as they see our lives lived out in front of them. This will give us open doors to share the difference that Christ has made in our life. So this morning, we've got to support and encourage one another. You need to be praying for your pastor. You need to be praying for those in your group. You need to be uh, supporting and encouraging those around you as they seek to live out these qualities in their life. Because as we do that, it's going to make all the difference and it's going to give us a platform that allows us to impact the community around us. Am I right? It's the truth. It's the truth. Let me pray for you. God, I'm so grateful uh, for the truth of your word. And I'm reminded uh, every day of just the significance of, of leadership and uh, the importance of having good, godly leadership in our church. And we see it right here. We see it in Scripture. We're reminded that this is, this is the way we are to live as your people. And so, God, I pray first of all for this kind of li- life transformation And the people that sit here this morning, and that starts with a relationship with Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you have not made that decision, much like these that went through the water of baptism this morning, if you have not made the decision to make Jesus your your Lord and Savior, you can do that this morning. It sounds like this when you do that. We pray, God, I admit, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. God, I believe that Jesus is that Savior, that it's through Jesus that I can experience life transformation. It's through what he's done for me that I can have forgiveness of my sins. And then I choose today to commit my life to follow him. That's what it looks like. So, God, my prayer is that as people that have made that decision at some point in our life, that we would recognize what you want to do in us, that you want to see these qualities that we've just looked at, these qualities lived out, fleshed out in our life, that we would demonstrate both the external behaviors, but more importantly, God, the internal character of what a life transformed by Jesus looks like. So, God, would you give us strength? Would you give us wisdom? Would you uh, give us courage to live this way? And then, God, we pray that you would use us in this community, use us to uh, impact the world around us as they see the difference that you've made in our life. God, we're grateful for that. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.